Here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Russell. I'm Liz Manischel. This week, we welcome writer-director S.J. Chiro to the show to talk about her latest feature, East of the Mountains, as well as how she got into filmmaking to begin with in the first place. You know S.J., right? I was hired as a consultant for East oh. of the Mountains. Oh, cool. <laughs> so this there is like go. very nepotistic, but I was hired being really like flattered to talk with her in the first place you know what I mean like and so right. I was like oh I have her email address maybe I could get her on the show how, how did she find you um I have no idea place. her producer found me and reached out to me on LinkedIn oh wow cool so I I've I'm a vested interest in the success of this film but the reason I was really hoping she'd be on the show is because I just think she's really cool and fancy and down to earth and would have a lot to share we're into the fancy filmmakers, right? <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> we are. Cool, but first, Liz, you've got mail. My breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got mail. I actually do got, I have mail this time. It's actually my mail. This is an accurate assessment. Um, and I don't have permission to read it out loud, but we're going to do it anyways and do it and anonymize this person okay. so that it's safe to read it out loud. So you may remember a few weeks ago, we, mm -hmm. we talk about it a lot lately, but we did a Brittany Snyman's goodbye short film as a get shorty. And I was clearly grappling with the fact that I was giving some constructive feedback because I talked about it ad nauseum every single episode afterwards. So this individual heard me apologize for constructive feedback. And this individual wrote an email that I wanted to excerpt from. I'll, mm -hmm. I'll try to read a little bit of it without going on a soliloquy here. Okay, this person said, you're never being harsh, you're being real, you're being honest, you're being everything that a growing filmmaker needs to continue to grow and get better. Then they said, what you are prescribing to filmmakers is something that many filmmakers can't get unadulterated truth with as much weight and criticism as love for the craft. Do you know how valuable and difficult that is to find? We've had many work in progress screenings of our second short and 99% of them we were showered in love and praise, but we knew something was off and had to pull teeth to getting any actual criticism. And while the love is great, it's difficult to find the note behind the note when it feels like people are dancing around the problems. Then they said they had one screening of five people that they didn't know and it was brutal but necessary. And that screening led them back into the editing room to shave minutes off their 14 minute short. And the short is so much better for it. I don't think I need to read anymore, but the point is this person was saying that we should be giving constructive feedback to short films because it's beneficial to them. And my question to you, Auric, was, do you think we should turn Get Shorty into <laughs> this like lab of giving feedback to filmmakers or should we continue it on um, what I think was the established journey of like shining a light on underappreciated films? Right. Well, why can't it be both, right? Like, oh, why can't we true. just keep doing what we're doing? I mean, 
I don't know. Like, if we have something negative to say about the the, sh- the short, we don't say it. You know, uh, we also don't go into it as interviewers looking or or like you know critique critic critics like looking for the problems. Like we're not we're not looking. I don't look at these as movies that like someone shared with me to give feedback. Like I look at them more like you know finished movies that I liked for reasons and to to mainly talk about the good things. But if there is a thing I don't like, I do mention it. Like, so what what would the suggestion be? Like to just like be a little harsher with the movies in general? I would say we open up the door and we say, if anybody wants to use this segment to get honest but tough feedback on their short, we will provide it. But that, yes, that probably the mission for the segment is just to celebrate the work, but that we can we can offer these services if people really do want honest, constructive responses to films. Yeah. Would you um, be open to that? Do you think that's fun? Do you think that's horrible? I think it's painful, no. but I'll do it. I wonder if people are going to be more interested in, in, in it because of this or less interested or both, or like we'll just get different type of people who are submitting films. Um, I guess the thing is like, I don't want them to submit works in progress that aren't done yet. Like I want them to submit movies they finished you know, and that they have released and that are ready to be seen because I want people to see them. Like, I don't want it to be a thing where it's like, oh, here's the work in progress movie I'm working on. Like, what do you think? Oh, but you can't share it with anybody. You know, like, I want them to feel like they can, like we can share it. Okay, so that's going to be our caveat is that if anyone out there wants us to review their short film, we will do it and we will make sure that we're super explicit about the purpose of Get Shorty for that segment is to be constructive. Right. And then I also just wanted to acknowledge something else that this individual wrote. And they said it was the importance of asking strangers to give st- constructive feedback. And I thought that was interesting too, is like, we're strangers to a lot of people who submit their work, except for your friends with Dave, who submitted that Halloween chart that I was kind of mean to, but. <laughs> I mean, I'm friends with Dave as as in the, we're like, you know, we're filmmaker friends, you know, like we write emails and give each other feedback and we've had beer once and we, he worked on my movie. Yeah, I guess I'm not sure if strangers are, are always the best. I mean, strangers are good for a lot of reasons because like, yeah, they're, they don't, they're not trying to protect you, but I feel like a good friend or a good filmmaker friend who you know, who is willing to really just be honest with you is just as good. Like I was very specific about who I asked um, for feedback on on the alternate because it's like some people I know are, are not going to give feedback that's helpful because they don't even like the kind of movie I'm making or they're not even interested in what I'm going for. So it's like, oh, well, their feedback is that they're going to lead me in the wrong direction. So I guess, yeah, I'm into it. I guess is, is a, long, <laughs> a long way of answering that. Yeah, let's do it. We'll try. And also I will, in response to this person, I will try not to feel bad about saying constructive feedback to artists. And I think that's something probably a lot of us don't want to do, right? You were saying like sometimes as long as you have a good friend who's willing to tell the truth, I think a lot of us aren't always willing to tell the truth because we're just so proud of our friends for accomplishing something that we don't want to derail them. So I'm going to try to be to be more constructive and not feel bad about it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm also like usually bringing on shorts that are that I like. So, you know, while there might be problems or issues, we picked it for a reason. 
And also nitpicking isn't necessarily something I want to do necessarily, but I mean, I feel like, yeah, talking about the real issues is good. But we've always done that. That's why I like this segment is because like we will always be open and honest about it. You're never shy to be like, yeah, this is stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel bad about it for weeks afterwards. Well, you never say it that bluntly either. You're always very nice. Thank you. Well, thank you, anonymous writer to my inbox, whose identity (laughs) only I know. Um, I appreciate that. I think just a general encouragement for people to reach outside of their network when they're getting feedback is important you know, ask your friends, ask them to be honest, but sometimes alternate opinions and perspectives and lifestyles will um, bring about certain feedback that you never thought of. Right, right. So I guess if you want to be like X, you can send us a question, comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or to Liz or me directly. Either one works too. Um, It's kind of fun when one of us gets an email that we haven't shared with each other and get to talk about it on the show because it's like exciting. You know, it's like, oh, what does this person say? (laughs) Or if you like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes or any of the other places you can leave reviews for podcasts. We also have a Patreon page. We have uh, two people who did some Patreon action this week. Davey Williams, who has also been on the show. Thank you, Davey. He upped his pledge, um, which is fantastic. And then we also have a new uh, patron, uh, Derek Viveros. Thank you, Derek. Glad to have you on the squad. Much appreciated. So if you want to be, be like those folks, you can go to our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash podcast and support the show with a buck, two bucks, three bucks, four bucks, ten bucks, a hundred bucks, whatever you guys want to do. Lastly, if you want to jump over to our Instagram page, you can uh, like that, follow that if you haven't yet, but also go to our link in our bio and go to our YouTube page where um, we have video episodes there for you. So you can see me try to squint and read um the show notes (laughs) as we record and i don't think we we didn't hit 200 uh subscribers by january 1st we didn't do it we made it to 185 185 so we got like 10 more (laughs) who is gonna be the 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 200th subscriber we we have 15 more people who can do it so i'll send them a sticker i mean i know it's not that exciting but i'm happy to send the next 15 subscribers stickers if they reach out to us well we just need to promote it more we don't do a very good job and i'm i've been very terrible about promoting the show in general on facebook lately uh, I'm, I'm really like i'm this anti-social media mode right now like i just don't want to be on social media well i don't mind and i i think i've been enjoying promoting so i'm happy to keep on keeping on mm-hmm. so i wanted to talk about something you know it's january 2020 one 2021 like what are you looking to do this year filmmaking wise like are you like hoping to like you know finish writing your horror feature and shoot it later this year like do you have is it is it less focused than that like what are you trying to accomplish in 2021 i'm glad you brought this up because we're sag aftra and the pga basically called for moratorium of production right now yeah. So it's like a lot. Of, and I was going to do a short. I was going to crowdfund for a short in late January and shoot it in February, um, late February or March. But I made a decision not to publicly crowdfund at the moment because unless we know when the moratorium is over, it felt very, I don't, I just didn't, didn't feel like very supportive to the cause and it felt um felt a little selfish to be honest so what is the moratorium it's like we're not supposed to shoot anything for now they're just encouraging people not to produce content right now because of the 
uh, dearth of um, ICU beds and um, mm -hmm. hospital space. It's mm -hmm. to create solidarity with the entertainment industry and the health industry. Anyway, when I can, I'm going to crowdfund on Kickstarter and going to make a short that I wrote. I finished the first draft of my horror feature by January 1st. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And then my friend Naomi McDougall Jones, who's been on the show, teaches a rewrite course. So I'm going to take her course for six weeks and rewrite the script with her. Wow. As my teacher. And then I run like a semi accountability group with three other filmmakers who are getting projects off the ground. So I am doing that. And then Lady Parts is, we're doing another revision of Lady Parts. So until that revision is done, we won't go out to more cast or financing because we just don't think it's good enough. But you've already shot part of that movie, right? We shot what we call is like the medical nudity segments. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's like all segments that involve nudity of our lead character because her body and her and how surgery has like impacted her body, like her mastectomy and who her ophorectomy and all these things. We wanted to document the state of her body in that mm. way, but we haven't shot like real principal photography yet. So Right, right. But that footage will still be used in the, mm -hmm. the movie whenever it's shot. And we have a sizzle, so we always can pull out that footage and show people that. Oh, cool. But yeah, so those are all my projects, but I still feel like people are waiting and we need to wait and it's really frustrating and stifling for all of us but i don't know if they feel the same way are you i mean at least in california that seems like what it's what it's like yeah i don't know i mean you hear about people making movies all the time you know and like shooting stuff and it just feels like well people are doing it so maybe that's all stopped now i guess i'm not i'm not sure well it's just sag after on pga so if it's not sag after right maybe they're right it's working in that way yeah, for for me personally though, like I have a movie that I'm I'm trying to release this year, so it's really more like just focusing on that and trying to get the get into a film festival and get it released and find a buyer for it and everything. Like that's sort of the main focus, you know. Um I do want to write, you know, a script. I just haven't had time or energy or focus to do it, but I think that's like the next step is to to, to start writing again and try to find the movie that I want to make next, you know. Yeah. I also have a, have a friend, previous co-host of the show, Alex Kellerman, who's writing a, a script for me right now. It's like the a feature version of one of my shorts, Brother. Um, so whenever he finishes that, if he ever finishes that, I'm sure he'll finish <laughs> it. If I like it and I'm like really into it, like that might be the next movie. What if you don't like it? Does that mean Alex gets to make Like what happens that there? Or does, do you just give him notes? I give him notes. Okay. No, he's down to do, to work with with me on it, and like it's all about these these goals for everybody, right? Like he's a writer. Like his goal is to have feature film writing credits and soul credits, where it's just his name. So he he doesn't mind me working with him on it and helping, but he just wants to have the the writer credit, and I totally get that. And for me, I, I don't really care if I'm the writer or not. Like I just want to direct the damn thing. But yeah, if I don't like it, I'll definitely we'll work on it. We'll make it so I do like it. <laughs> I like the outline, so I'm like, okay, well, this sounds good. Let's let's see what, how the movie comes together. Because um, I really do, like, when I do get to the film festival stage, like, I'd love to have one or two projects, like, you know, at some stage, you know, ready to show people. Like, even if it's just, like, a first draft, it'd be nice to have at least a couple things that I could talk about. So that's that's the main goal. So, you know, 
we'll see. Who knows what film festival I'm going to get into. I mean, the next one, that the first one it could be would be South by Southwest because we still haven't heard back yet. Knock on wood. You know, I'm not holding my breath or anything. But if that happens, I mean, geez, that would be incredible. And then I would have to really get my ass into gear because that's only three months away. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I still feel like every festival you're like, are you? Are you happening this year? Like, what's going on? What, yeah. like, what iteration are you doing? Are you virtual? Are you doing ticket splits? What's going on? So it's. I, very I think it's virtual, right? I think I think we're all virtual for I now. I would sure hope so, but you don't really know. Because Sundance, that's coming up soon, right? That's like in a few weeks. Yeah, it's usually January. And that's all virtual this year. Well, it's virtual, but they're doing these satellites at um, using local film organizations. So like there's going to be screenings at the Rose Bowl this year in Pasadena. And there's going to be screenings with, I think, the Atlanta Film Society, like various different film nonprofits across the country are hosting satellite versions of Sundance this year. Oh, wow. It's really, really cool. Um, And then, yeah, there's the virtual screenings where you, I think that you could buy tickets tomorrow today like people are buying tickets now for for Sundance it's interesting to be in a time where it's like we're not encouraged to shoot you know where it's like for the last you know whatever eight nine months everyone's like rushing to shoot and now it's like wait maybe you shouldn't shoot now (laughs) yeah well it's such a bummer when I decided like not to even crowdfund because I just felt like that sent mixed messages if we're like, and I'm, I don't think of myself in any way as an influencer. It's just this idea of like, what if this, what if people get vaccinated so late in the game in California? What if this delay, because we're like behind schedule. So what if we really can't shoot this until next fall? And then it's like, so I'm going to crowdfund in September, shoot in October. I mean, it just felt like I'm not going to hold on to whatever I raise in a bank account for like six months, unable to shoot. It felt weird and messy. And and it also sent for this message that like we should all be preparing to shoot even though we should all be stopping right now. Right. How long did you get on your crowdfunding? Do you have like the page all designed and everything? And like- No, I'm friends with the heads of Kickstarter film uh, segments. Oh, okay. So like I told them I was running the campaign. They're prepared to look at anything. And um, I mean, like I was about to start drafting the, the campaign video. It wasn't oh. really that far along. Right, right. But you just decided to stop for now. Yeah. And well, because I was announcing that I was running the crowdfunding <laughs> oh. campaign. Like I did like a newsletter about it. I've been talking about it on social media. And now I'm like, well, shit, never mind. Yeah. Hello. Did you make like a rescinding announcement? Like, we're like, I put, I'm just going to delay this? Or do you just like let it be and not do anything? I'm just letting it be. And then, I mean, I don't think anyone cares that much. They're like, oh, please take my money list. <laughs> yeah. They're like, wait, what happened? I had my chance to, you know, put money into this movie. And now I can't. What's going on? So they'll just be surprised and annoyed when I ask them for money in a few more months. Right, right. Well, I think this has been a good catch up. Yeah. But uh, I think it's uh, time that we get to our conversation with SJ. So SJ, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. As we do always, we're going to start with our five rapid fire questions. Okay. Uh, I'll go first. How many days did you shoot east of the mountains? East of the mountains, we had 21 days of principal photography, but then we had three, well, like two and a half days before and two and a half day pickup. Well, first of all, the film is set in fall and we had to shoot in spring. So the first two and a half days were really about capturing that fall flavor. 
it also has to do a lot with orchards and apple season and like <laughs> so I mean I wasn't about to go like steal magnolias and like tape on apples to the tree you know did they do that and steal magnolias I think they did yeah not apples but magnolias what was the rough budget the rough budget is um how can I say a low budget can you use a million as a marker point? Yeah, I would say about um, in the range of 1.5 million. And then how long did you spend working on the film from uh, being brought on to it coming out? April 2018 is when I was brought on. Then we did our pre-shoot in November 2019. And uh, we finished the edit in January 2020. February 2020, we went to Vancouver for our uh, to start our, our post and just kind of meet our people and, you know, do a few days, uh, just a couple days. And then, of course, we came home and you know what happened in uh, March. The day, literally the day before the shutdown, we got all our ADR done. Oh, wow. That's lucky. And then the producer, Jane Charles, and I had to go back to um, Vancouver to finish all our uh, post-production. So I had to go, I had to fly in, I had to quarantine for 14 days to do three days of work and come home. I guess when did we finish? Like August, I would say 2020. So it was, you know, a weird kind of like in, out, in, out, you know, um, just because we live in weird times. How big was your crew? So like on the biggest days, it'd be about 65 people. And on the smaller days, it'd be about um, 45 or so. It was a union production. I mean, that was my first union production. It was a, yeah, it was really different. Like this film in so many ways was very, very different to um, what I'd been used to, you know, the way I worked. And then uh, compared to all the other projects you've made, how difficult was it to make this one? Pretty difficult. <laughs> Because why? Making films is hard. No, you know, just every production is going to have its pitfall and you need to like work around it. You need to find a way, you know? And um, so we had, we had nine days taken out of our budget three days before we went into production, you know? So that was quite, you know, whoa. <laughs> you had to read, like reorganize the, the shooting schedule having nine days taken from you yeah but um fortunately this is one of my strengths is really like taking a taking in something and finding a workaround you know and everything wasn't so locked down already you know that it was that I could be flexible and I'd just be like okay we're adding this day we're taking this scene out we're doing this and it turned out to be fine well I'm dying to ask this question it's kind of a big picture question so you know just looking at your IMDb I, I made some inferences and I just want to see if, if they're accurate inferences. So you've made, you've written, directed a few shorts and then your first feature got into Sundance late 1974, right? Got into South by. I swear in my mind, it was a Sundance title. Like for the past, that's crazy. Okay. So it got into South by, it should have been at Sundance, whatever. And then your second feature is now the, your first union. So I guess I'm just trying to get a sense of like the progression of your career, and um, this is not a question. Tell, tell me how it happened, SJ. How did you, <laughs> how did you uh, make your first film get into South by? And, and like, can you just talk about why you're a filmmaker? There we go, done, I should leave. <laughs> no, 
I think it's complicated. I, you know, so I come from theater, I come from acting and in about 1993 or so, <laughs> I realized like, oh, film is the direction I need to go in. And, um, I applied to one film school. There's only one film school I wanted to go to and it was USC. And the reason that I'm telling you that is because the film that I proposed in, in my um, application was the film that I ended up making and um, uh, presenting in 2017. So I've been thinking about that film for a super, super long time. And then just to finish the USC story, weirdly, I got in and then various things happened in a family way and I didn't end up going. That's okay. Waste of money anyway. Who cares? No, it's not. It's <laughs> not. It's not. But actually, you know, I will say that I did some research and um, called some like recent graduates. It's really nice of them to talk to me. Um, women. And definitely they were like, it's a boys club. Like, I mean, they were really like, uh, I'm someone's assistant right now. And like, I went through this very extensive, intense program and, and, you know, it was really hard to get on people's films. And I mean, they really were very honest. Of course, that was back in the nineties, not when you went, when you went, it was perfect. And yeah. <laughs> so what my question is like, like, how did you get to making your movie in 2017? Like having not gone to USC? Well, so what happened in between was kids. So I found that I was pregnant and um, I didn't mean to be, and uh, I didn't want to be, you know, I mean, I didn't even want to get married, but I did get married and I didn't want to have kids. And then I did have kids. <laughs> so, you know, then it took me, you know, I really, I was in the middle of a show. I was uh, performing and I miscarried. So I already said no, and then I miscarried, you know, so it was just like, oh, but also like, if you're going to have children, you better start thinking about it, you know? So that's what, that's what happened. That's what I did in the interim. And then when my daughter was two, I was absolutely losing my mind. I was like, <laughs> it was not, uh, it was not good because I was so used to just like being immersed in art, you know? I mean, like that was my life, you know? And then it was just like, like really taken out. It was at that time, it was kind of looked down on. It was a little bit like, oh, oh, mommy. You know, there was no social media to connect on. There was, it was like a really lonely, weird time. And I started like really losing my mind. And I knew like, you better make a film. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off and make your film now. And so that, that was a short film. So as you mentioned, I made several short films before I finally got to Lane 1974, which is my first feature. How old were your children when you made the feature? I think my son was in college. Amazing. Um, my daughter was in high school. I, I just wanted to say what your fears were and what you're expressing, um, obviously are very common amongst a lot of people in the arts. And I have a two-year-old right now. <laughs> and um, I wrote an article when I was three months pregnant about all the things I was really terrified of that I would lose of myself by becoming a mother. And I I think a lot of people identify with men and women identify with that fear of like 
not being able to be the artist that you want to be when you have to be a caretaker. Oh God, it's for real. It's for real. Especially like if your partner has a career, but um, I would say like I said, my, my son was in college and my daughter was in high school, but that's when the film was finished. You know, it took nine years to make that film. So when, when did you start shooting it? Like what year? Did... 2015. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then you'd, but you'd been writing it for many years before that. Yeah. Yeah. And fundraising. Right. Also. Right. Yeah. And you know, had a, um, like I started out with a really great producer. She's fantastic. And I, she's the one that, so we worked on, um, uh, Seattle international film festival. They used to have this thing called fly films. And so they would ask like three, three narrative uh, filmmakers and one documentarian to come and make a short film. And then they would say, well, here are the restrictions. You have to, it has to be shot in three days. You have to use this car. You have to use this line of dialogue. You know what I mean? But they give you all the stuff. You have to bring your people, but they give you like the cameras and, and so like they're producing it basically. So that was really cool. And that was the year I had um, had a film that won a, an award in that festival as well. So there was this woman who was local and we were all in a friend group, but um, I asked her if she produced that fly film. And um, we had such a great time on it. She was like, all right, SJ, what's next? And I was like, mm, I wanna do a feature. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, pitch me. And so I told her, and she was like, I'm in, let's do it. So, and that's wow. um, Mel Eslin and she's amazing. She's like such a great person and, and a really great producer. Her career started really steamrolling and she moved to LA. And then in 2014, I wanna say, yeah, 2014, Janessa West came on and she was, she really took the reins and really was, was my partner with the boots on the ground and Mel became an EP and um, that's how we got it done. In all the nine years where you were making this film, did you have a day job? Were you taking, were you a caretaker? Like, yeah, I was, I was at home. I was, yeah, with kids. I want to go back and just give you a compliment because I just feel like it, it you need to hear it. Is that like you and I, we chatted a few months ago and yeah. I was like, um, I was very intimidated to talk to you. Wow. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not just saying this, like I was very nervous about that call because you are a name that I, that comes by me a lot. Like, and I actually didn't even know if you were a woman oh or not, God. like, or like Estee Chiro. I don't know who that is. So I just want you to know that like whatever path you took, well, I just think it's the right one because you've, you've done very well in your career. I mean, for what it's worth, you're very fancy. Oh my God. <laughs> but then, so you did this film that I mean, really, took off like lane really was a big deal it was for me yeah and you leveraged that into this other feature and so i'm just curious about riding that wave of success and sorry i know i'm monopolizing now rick i'll i'll stop talking in a second um riding the wave of success and then turning that into the second feature so i i do want to say that um back in the 90s when i was thinking of this i was thinking of my own childhood and I was thinking about how to talk about um, uh, how to talk about being, especially a girl child in the counterculture. And it was very difficult to kind of 
bring my own story into a 90 minute story. You know, it was just so complex. And so actually every single film that I've made has been an adaptation of some sort. The first film that I made was Little Red Riding Hood. So obviously adaptation of that. Uh, Howard from Ohio was uh, from a short story that a friend of mine had written. And Lane 1974, which is the feature film, the first feature film is based on this book called The Hypocrisy of Disco by Clayne Hayward. So um, when I found this book, it was 2008. And I realized like, oh, perfect. You know, I mean, we grew up in the same area at the same time. Like I, she was just like my sister next to me so almost, just you know? A and little so more clarity, really like, is it like story. after uh, late in 1974, so like it's the South by has all the success and then and you get an email from really the producer being like, hey, really work on it with all congratulations and here's an opportunity. Down to <laughs> details, like in, incredible details that then when we cast Sophia Mitri Schloss, who was 12 years old when she made that film, I could really communicate fully as to what the world was because it's set in 1974. So when, when it did come to fruition and when it did, you know, premiere at South by, which was so fantastic. I mean, I really, I don't take anything for granted. Like every time, you know, we were asked to play in Shanghai, you know, and like something like that was like, this is amazing. You know? <laughs> every modicum of success that that film had just like filled my heart so so much so I, I really am so grateful for the journey of that film and how it parlayed then into east of the mountains well I knew the producer I knew the woman that came on to produce so they found Jane Charles who's amazing um she came aboard and um she and I had always wanted to work together and so I, you know, I went to interview with her and some of the other producers and ultimately uh, they asked me to come on board. Just a little more clarity, like, is it like after uh, late in 1974, like it's the South by has all the success and then yeah. you get an email from the producer being like, hey, congratulations <laughs> and here's an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, no, it had, you know, Lane had really run its course by then. You know, so I was looking for something new to do because on indie films, you know, like you do a lot of your own stuff. So I tended to be involved for a long time. You know, it wasn't just like, yeah, premiered. Now I'm on to the next thing. And, you know, <laughs> it was kind of like a, with that film for, for like a year and a half or whatever before other things started coming along. And well, the thing that I really want to drill, drill in is like, okay, you have the successful moment, right? You get into South by Southwest, all these great things start to happen for the film. But then like, what really happens? Like, do you get a bunch of phone calls? Do you suddenly have representation? No, like, just, I, I like, still don't have rep representation. Oh, wow, okay. Is that because you've done these, you know, it's like you're not commercial? Like, is that the idea? I mean, it's not whether- Maybe. And maybe I'm in Seattle. I mean, like, I'm not exactly sure. And to be fair, I haven't like really done the hardcore press on, on getting out there. And, you know, I, I was so involved in Lane and then went into East of the Mountains. So I really took a lot of my focus. And, you know, I talked to friends also. I had a friend, um, Deborah, whose film 
was in Sundance last year, I think. She got really frustrated, you know, because I was like, wow, you're, you're, this is fantastic. You're with this great agency. And she was like, you know what? Sometimes I feel like a filler. Like I do, like they asked me to come in and pitch. I really worked very, very hard on making this huge pitch. And I get a vibe like, yeah, we brought that woman in, which sucks. And then, uh, you know, there was another guy when I was in Shanghai, the, the, um, the guys that brought me there, one was a, a Chinese producer and one was an American uh, filmmaker. And I was talking to the American filmmaker and kind of lamenting like, yeah, I'd really love to be represented and like all this stuff. And he was just like, why I'm represented? Like nothing happened. Like, <laughs> and this guy's like kind of a well-known guy. I was like, geez, if this guy is saying that, I don't know. So I didn't, I didn't do a full court press yet, but uh, I will because I really do want to work in series television. There, there's some things that I'd love to do that really demand representation. And now that I'm also in the DGA, it's a different story. Um, just to clarify, I wasn't. I, I hope you didn't. Uh, hear or interpret my word commercial as in like successful. I meant just like that you weren't working on brand branded content or commercial centered. No, no, no. That's the way I took it. That's the way I took okay, it. Okay, good. But in terms of like the full court press, what, what does that consist of? Do you think like, what is your strategy? What does it consist of? That's, I mean, that's a good question. Um, it consists of talking to people I know who are represented and asking them, you know, would you mind if I spoke to your representation and ask them for um, recommendations of who I should go to? It probably means making my own uh, website and really getting very uh, ready to present myself and my work. Just getting, getting more aware of what's going on in LA and usually what happens is, you know, you start on a path and then you realize like, oh, actually I should be doing this or, you know, oh, that person referred me to this person and now this is a game changer or whatever. I mean, indie film is my heart for sure. I love it. I love it. And I, I don't think I could ever be separated from it, but I would love to try other things. I would love to try directing commercials, you know? I would love to, you know, music videos. It's so weird that I've never done a music video. <laughs> And I love music videos. I love the whole genre of music video. But yeah, there's a lot of things that I'd, I'd love to do. And as I mentioned, series television is a big one. So you still don't have representation even after East of the Mountains. Well, and East of the Mountains hasn't come out yet. And what is the status with that? Are you submitting to film festivals? Like, where are you guys at with the film? Yes, we're submitting to film festivals now. But as you know, like film festivals are really, really different now. And they're really trying to pivot and change and be flexible and, you know, offer the very best that they can. There, I, I really feel for film festivals, man. Uh, I love them so much. And the pain that, that they must have gone through like last year, South by, I was just, I almost cried I, and I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> Uh, but just for those filmmakers that were looking so forward to premiering their films and the actual people who are putting on the, the film festival. I mean, who are paid like zero dollars on a daily basis. They, they put their whole lives into formatting this enormous, incredible thing that is South by Southwest. So I have a lot of empathy for, for those people who are still, um, 
pushing forward and, and making their film festival happen uh, in a different way because we live in different times. So. But uh, Liz, as we talked about, maybe it's not the right, really the right moment right now. <laughs> I guess the subject matter is a little bit heavy, you know? People only want to watch like Hallmark Christmas movies right now. And <laughs> I mean, especially after yesterday's attempted coup, like we were, I feel like we were in a situation where like we could potentially handle heavy drama yeah. and then something horrible happens again. Wow. And we're like, oh, I got to revert back to a Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol. Like I got to go yeah. back in the corner and like watch my Fraggle Rock or whatever. <laughs> but like, <laughs> we'll get there soon. We will, I promise you. No, I, I always feel like the right thing's gonna happen, you know? Well, let's talk a little bit about the Seattle film scene or at least the Pacific Northwest because I was thinking about it. And I was doing accounting of like Megan Griffiths, you know, uh, you know, obviously the our dearly departed Lynn Shelton, Tracy Rector, Jennifer Roth, you know, you. And then I was thinking my friend Clyde Peterson is in the film scene. I mean, there's like a really robust community. People never really talk about Seattle. They go to Austin instead or Atlanta, I think. Maybe, I don't know if you feel that way. Maybe you feel like people bring up Seattle all the time, but there seems to be some synergy in Seattle in terms there of indie film. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Is, is that why, I mean, because you're talking about LA and like uh, the way things work in LA, but would you ever leave or are you really growing roots and contributing to the, the tree of film in, in Seattle? Yes, yes and yes. Yeah, the Seattle roots go very deep, you know, and all those amazing filmmakers that you mentioned are friends of mine, of course, because we're, you know, it's, it's a very tight community. But would I move to LA? I, I wouldn't have when my kids were in the house, but my daughter's in college now, so all bets are off. She could come home and find the house up for sale and me gone. <laughs> I would definitely um, move for work. I wouldn't just up and move. But you know, a lot of like there was there was a huge, really robust uh, indie scene about maybe. Uh, well, around the time that Mel left, you know, there are a lot of people that kind of like made the move down there. Um, and when they went, change the scene a little bit. Lynn Shelton, who you mentioned, uh, was really instrumental in, in getting uh, a lot of young people off the ground. One thing that Lynn did, which I think is very interesting, is that all her films, all of them, were her own films. They came either from her and a collaborator or, you know, I mean, they, they were very much, she wrote them, they, you know, or, or at least wrote a scriptment, you know, when she was doing like improvised, more improvised things. All her films were very indie film, came from her, and then she did a lot of TV work. So I, I thought that was very interesting. Um, because I think that indie film especially should be very personal. I like that that path that Lynn was on. It was amazing. And not that, you know, I could ever achieve her glory because she just had a, she was a golden girl and she had a magic touch. And just anyone who met her fell in love with her and just wanted to work with her and like wanted to make stuff happen. That's the way it felt anyway. Well, go, go, talking about that a little bit, like, you know, you worked, you said nine years on Lane 1974, and then you get brought into East of um, the Mountains, and it's like 
three years or something, right? Yeah. Like, can you just talk about the difference and like how you handled that? Like having all this time to prep and deeply get to know the project and then being asked to suddenly just jump in and make something with like a lot less prep time. Yeah, a lot less. Partially because the screenplay was was in flux a lot. I like almost right up to when we started shooting. And so that was interesting because, you know, of course you'd love time just to sit with the screenplay and like really ingest it and really, you know, get it into your body almost. But this was just like, gotta move, gotta move, gotta move. I mean, nine years is really, I don't, I hope that it doesn't take me nine years every time. <laughs> That's a long time. But yeah, you're right. It was, it was really different. And then um, kind of acclimating to the whole union shoot. Suddenly you have like transpo and Teamsters and, you know, like it's a different world. And it was a very fun world. I mean, I loved it. You know, I loved uh, my whole team, you know, 65 people. That's, that was lot you know and um great well here's a question that i don't think i've ever asked before like do you feel like having all those other things like great catering a transport team a bigger crew did it allow you to be more creative than you were on your first film in any way it's hard to it's almost comparing apples and oranges really it's just impossible to to say because i i had to be very creative on both on both Films, just kind of in different ways. Did you ever feel like the decisions that you made were pushing a, like, I guess if I were in your position and I had just like three times the amount of people I normally have, I might be more intimidated by wanting to be improvisational. And so I'm wondering if you were in any way impacted by the massive machine that surrounded you. Um, and, or like, what if you changed your mind? Would you be worried about like all of the Teamsters huffing and puffing because they had to bring something to a new location or whatever? I, my producer was very supportive. And I think that she knew if I was asking for something, it wasn't frivolous. But there was like this weird pressure because I had the same DOP that I used for Lane, who is amazing. This amazing man, Sebastian Scandiuzzi. But you know, what happened to him, I, I shouldn't say what happened to him, but for him in between Lane and, uh, and East of the Mountains is that he had children. And, you know, I've apologized to him already. So, you know, <laughs> that I didn't, you know, really take time to sit down with him and like, where are you now? Who are you now? What are your wants? What are your, you know what I mean? I was just like, we're a team. We did it before. Like we could, let's go, you know? I did run into some like problems on, on my own, uh, my own collaborative, you know, just because I took, I took certain things for granted and I didn't check in enough. Like if I had to, had to do it again, I would, I would change that, you know, because it just, you don't, you want to, you want to eliminate tension as much as possible on this. You know, like I, I love to go for flow. Like being in flow is like, that's where, that's the best. And you know, that it would have helped me to, to slow down a minute and sit down with him instead of being like, we know how to do this. We're going to get in there and we, you know, and, and just say like, what are, how can I help you basically? And I think I didn't really take into consideration the, the pressures that he was under with a much larger team under him, you know? And the, and the same goes for me, you know, with that kind of thing. Then I was like, oh, 
is that a professional thing to do? Do I, should I stand back? You know, like there are those weird little questions in my mind. And I, if I could go back and change anything, that's what I would love to obliterate is, is just feeling comfortable in those shoes all the way. And, and I'm not saying like, oh, it ruined the whole film. No, not at all. But that we felt so comfortable together on late 1974. And we, we were, we did still work together very well. I mean, cause he's just amazing. And, you know, as a director or I, you know, for me anyway, I want to take care of, of the people that I'm working with, you know, and I want them to feel great. Maybe that now that I'm saying that it sounds like ludicrous because who's going to feel great all the time. But, you know, I did feel like, SJ, you could have done that a little bit better. That's pretty amazing for you to admit. And also I would never even anticipate that that would be, that's like an unanticipated byproduct of working with these larger crews, right? Like I would always just be like, well, my DP's got it. Like I wouldn't even be thinking about them. So it's a nice reminder of us to always check in with our crew. Yeah, especially the DP and the director. I mean, I feel like, and, and the actors, you know, and the production designer <laughs> and <laughs> and everybody and everybody and everybody you know it's a team it's a family everybody has to be working together to really go well and i was just very very lucky that we had so many great people on on that set all the time um my production designer is aaron okay and she also worked on lane and so that it was it was just like nice to have that comfortability but uh, i was also working with a lot of new people and a lot of great new people so east of the mountains is really about it's about death and dying or thinking about death and dying or the mystery of death it's about a father and a daughter and around the 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 daughter is roughly around my age and the father is around my dad's age and I know one of the questions that you are going to ask at the end is, is making movies hard? And yeah, I mean, you can't really anticipate what's going to happen. And in the middle, I guess after the first week of shooting, my dad got very sick and uh, went into the ICU. And, uh, it's tough in California. And um, we're busy shooting up here in Eastern Washington. Our weekends were like, I think Wednesday and Thursday. And so I went to California on this, the second weekend and um, he was unconscious. He had a ventilator and I mean, it was scary and bad. And they, they said, probably he won't recover probably, you know, so I had to go back and shoot. I was so, the show must go on. I was in such deep denial that I was just like, he'll come back. This is just, you know, he'll come back. He'll, he'll be, he'll be okay. He'll, he'll carry on. And I shot that week out. And then I, the next weekend I came back and he was awake and off the ventilator and could talk and could interact. And he, he just really wanted to go home. He did not wanna be in that hospital anymore. 
And so that's what that whole time was when I was there. It was just like, when are, when are they coming to take me home? Why well, I want to go home. I want to go home. And he went home and he had a hospital bed set up out uh, looking out, out his uh, window, which overlooks this beautiful, vast land. And we shot uh, late 1974 on that land. So if you want to know what it looks like, <laughs> you can watch that film. But he was so attached to the land. Like the land was so much a part of him that coming home and, and being at home was so important. And so the day that I had to leave was the day that he came home. So I was able to see him at home. It was tough to, tough to leave that day, but I thought, look, I have four more days to shoot and then I'll be, and then I'll come right back. Um, but 38 hours after I left, he did die. And so I had had those, those four days to shoot knowing that my dad was gone. It was funny later, Jane told me that she had contacted Megan that, you know, like there, she thought there was a very good chance that I wouldn't make it back to finish out those four days. And in my mind, I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, why on earth would I do that? Like, of course I'll finish my film, you know? And it's only like the distance now that I realize, like, oh, because your dad died. And I guess that's just, I was just really, my head was in work mode. I was in super denial and um, yeah. Whew. So yeah, making films can be hard. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I just want to thank you for sharing that yeah. with us because it's, vital that I mean it's, it's amazing that you were willing to but it's vital to hear that kind of thing out loud I think a lot of us getting so immersed in our work and our career and it becomes one and the same like you said every one of your indie films is intensely personal and I mean when everyone sees East of the Mountains they're gonna see how personal this film was for you mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. well I think, I think so I mean, it was just very bizarre how life was imitating art in a way, in a way that you couldn't manufacture. You know, that's when you start getting, or that's when I start getting like these weird, like spiritual, like, whoa, was I called to this film? Like, I mean, it, I could never have known how personal it would have been. I mean, this is me being like inextricably linked to business and film. It makes the release of the film also important right because it's like yeah. kind of sharing all of that like that's really wonderful that people are going to get to see that in the right light at the right time yeah I mean and and it happens like like people have to deal with death and my dad's death set off a kind of a string of of deaths in my life to the day one month later my, uh, my husband's young cousin died of cancer. He had no idea he had cancer. It was just very surprising. And then my aunt who lives in Switzerland, suddenly just, she thought she had COVID. She, she's super athletic. She bicycled to her doctor and doctor was like, yeah, no, you know, go and lie down, you're all right. And she went home and died. 
and then a, a, a very close friend of mine from the theater days and, you know, uh, had a prolonged cancer, but he also died. And, um, and my uncle died, you know, and then, and then Lynn died. And it was just like a heartbreak upon heartbreak and just shock upon shock. And what is so weird about death is that you, if there's one thing you know for sure, people are gonna die. Like I'm gonna die, you know, we all, we know that nobody lives forever. We know that death is a part of life. And yet it's, it's so mysterious. It's still so mysterious to me, even after all of the death that we've all experienced, you know, every death is still shocking in some way. You just, I don't know, I don't know how to prepare for it. Having been through all of that, um, in addition to the global pandemic, in addition to the uprising, in addition to the attempted coup, in addition to all these really dramatic things that have happened this year, if you don't mind me asking, how does that color your next steps as an artist or you choosing your next project? Uh, it brings me very close to life. You know, I don't want to sound like a Hallmark card, but how precious it is, like how, how, how not to waste, you know, how to live very fully and what is living fully. And for me, living fully is, is my work, you know, and so it just makes me feel uh, even more open and elated and ready to work and ready to embrace and ready to um, love. It, it's kind of like the inverse in a way, instead of feeling shut down or just, you know, I mean, I did go through that. I did go through that. But the way that I'm feeling now is very much like, look, we don't have a second to waste and understand what's important to you, you know, and really reach out to it. And, you know, now that my children are, you know, their own people <laughs> and I'm not so responsible for them, I can embrace that even further. And, I consider them my collaborators, you know, Little Red Riding Hood was definitely came about because of my two-year-old daughter. So um, there's probably many more questions to ask, but I think we need to start getting to the last five questions here. Um, so I'll go first. Okay. What's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? Um, Little Red Riding Hood was the film that I made out of sheer desperation to, for my life. <laughs> Um, at that time, I was super inspired by Guy Madden's work. And um, okay, here's how it happened. My mom sent my two-year-old daughter this red jacket that had a hood. And as a mother, I, I kind of forgot in that moment that I had um, resisted telling my kids fairy tales because I think they're very confusing. And, you know, young minds, you know, some, some things we just do because we've always done them and they were done to us. So um, fairy tales, I felt like they teach something that I didn't want to really get into that, you know, for young minds. But I kind of forgot about that when I saw my daughter in that red coat. And I said, oh, you look like Little Red Riding Hood. And she kind of gave me this blank stare. And I was like, oh, I can't believe you don't know. I don't know where my mind was. I was like, you don't know Little Red Riding Hood? And then I was like, oh, let me tell you. And so, <laughs> uh, so I launched into Little Red Riding Hood and she was just enraptured and just, you know, and then I got to 
grandmother, what big teeth you have. And I was like, fuck, it all came back to me. I was like, this is exactly what I didn't want to, oh. And so she kind of grew up in, in the dojo. Um, my, my son and I are both black belts in the dojo. But she, you know, she sat on the sidelines and watched. And so I'm, I like went, you know, with the story, like a really quick turn. And she loved it because she understood the, the ethos of self-defense. And she loved the story so much. She wanted to hear it immediately again. And I felt like, oh, how, what a moment in parenting. How brilliant. This is wonderful. Of course, darling, I'll tell you again. And so then I told it to her again. She wanted to hear it again right after. And I was like, really? Okay, well, here's one more for you. Then uh, at bedtime, she wanted to hear that story again. And the next day, she wanted to hear that story again and again and again. And pretty soon, in order to save my mind, my mind started seeing it as a film. So you could just pop in the DVD instead of telling the story. (laughs) I can watch it and then explain what's happening. And I saw it as like a kind of Guy Madden inspired, like like um, German expressionist silent film. And so I would just shot by shot as I was telling her. But even then I was like, I wish I could go to a film festival and see this film, you know, like this film, this would be an awesome film. And then I realized like SJ, nobody's gonna make that film. (laughs) Who's gonna make the, the short film of Little Red Riding Hood as a black and white silent German expressionist (laughs) karate film. you have to make it. And so that's a long way to say, um, I still love this film very much. It means a lot to me. And uh, I, I like that I did something very different for my first film because it did stand out. Like nobody was doing that kind of thing. You know, it's just a, a good launch and, and it um, helped future collaborators to understand me you know, and to understand um, my vision for film and what film can be. What's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? The filmmaking advice that really sticks with me, um, didn't, it came through, you know, the internet <laughs> from Quentin Tarantino, of all people. He said, look, filmmakers, make the film that would not be made if it wasn't made by you. And I, I really think that's, that's what I want to say to every single filmmaker. Like, I wish, I wish that for every filmmaker. I wish that films could be so personal and so your own vision and something that nobody else would have really done. Or, you know, that uniqueness really speaks to me and that uniqueness of voice. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? Yeah, I want to work. Look, I want to work. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't want it to take nine years for my next future film. And, you know, I'd love to work in, in series and I'm developing several things that, I'm, you know, it's going to take a little bit for me to get to the point where I could pitch them. But, um, yeah, I, I, I love rolling up my sleeves. I love being on set. I love working. Um, I love actors most of all because, uh, you know, I have such an affinity. I come from it, you know, and, and it just gives me so much joy to, to parse out telling, these, telling a story, telling a visual story. Like my work tends to be uh, very interior. 
work. So, you know, my feeling is like the camera can read an actor's mind. So if we're on board and we're telling the same story, it's just like so beautiful, so beautiful to, to feel and to watch and to be there as it's being created. If you could go back in time, what would be the piece of advice you would give yourself? I guess maybe I would say, trust yourself harder and, and more deeply and more consistently as a young person. And don't feel like, I think that a lot of women fall into this, unfortunately, where like you have to know everything before you go forward. And then you look around and other people are just going forward. <laughs> not really hung up on like, no, I have to know the pro, I have to know all, I have all my ducks in there. You know, that takes a lot of time. And sometimes it's, you know, those people that are just really aggressive get the worm. So sometimes I do feel like, damn, this has been a long road. This has been, you know, <laughs> wouldn't it have been cool to uh, be doing this a lot earlier? And then I just think like, why though? I mean, that, that would be a different road, you know, and I'm on the one I'm on. I love, I love the one I'm on and hopefully it will continue to be great. So that's a, that's a really tough one. That's a tough one. And then lastly, um, is making movies hard? You've already asked the answer this, but asking again. Making movies can be really hard. Yeah, it can be. <laughs> it can be. I mean, you're talking to me now, like, well into postpartum, like, uh, delirium. You know, like where where you just like forget how hard it, it was to give birth. So I would say yes and no. I mean, of course, yes, because there's you know finding the financing can just be excruciating sometimes. And, you know, I remember when I, when I was making Lane, when I finally got the screenplay to where I wanted, I was like, I'm done, you know? <laughs> but then I realized like, oh, oh God, okay. Uh, I have to find money for it. So Finally, we got the financing. Hooray, we're done. You know, so then it's like, no, you actually really need to cast this. And then, oh yeah, casting, casting. But then once we got it cast, I was like, I'm done. But <laughs> of course you need locations and you need that. You actually need to shoot it out. And, you know, I mean, there's just like so many steps to it. And, and, and each step is its own little challenge. Um, so yeah. Filmmaking can be hard, yeah, can be, but it can also be necessary for life. So I really believe in the medium as a storytelling medium. It's, it's hard to think about life without stories. I mean, when you, when you think about this whole time in the pandemic, right? I, you know, I've seen like catty people be like, Oh, you know, oh, making movies. Oh, you know, like that's not important. What's important is, you know, one doesn't negate the other, but like those people who are not sick have watched a lot of visual storytelling <laughs> and, and we've needed it, you know? What a wonderful way to end the show, which is like a reinforcement of that. I know that you're working on your website, SJ, and I hope to see it soon, but where else can people find you? Well, Lane1974 has a website. You can contact me through that. And that is Lane1974, it's L-A-N-E 1974 film, F-I-L-M, uh, dot com. 
also find me uh, on Facebook at SJ Chiro and on Instagram, SJ Chiro. And very occasionally I'll venture into Twitter, which is also SJ Chiro. So uh, pretty easy to find actually. I, I kind of love it when people reach out. Like I love composers and young filmmakers and a lot of people that I, people I don't know who um, have reached out to me. And I, lo I love encouraging people if I think that they can do the job. Thanks so much, SJ. This has been great. We really appreciate you taking the time and being so honest and um, authentic is just really a gift. Oh, well, thank you. And I love your show. I've listened to quite a few episodes <laughs> and uh, it's really fun. All right. Well, thank you for listening. And thanks to SJ Chiro for making this episode happen. Uh, please check out our website, makingmoviesishard.com, where you can all find links to the things we talked about on this episode. If you want to get in contact with us, please do. Anytime. We really do answer every email, or at least Alric does. Podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. You can easily find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at MMIH Podcast. I am Liz Manischel on Twitter, Liz Manischel Film on Instagram. Alric, where are you? I am Alric B on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me there. If you like the show, it really is meaningful if you tell a friend or help us get the word out. We, I look at iTunes every day to see if we have a new review. I genuinely just love seeing new reviews. So I don't want to presume that you want to make our day, but if you would like to make our day, please rate us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Extra special thanks to Carly McKeating for editing this episode and being the wondrous talent that she is. Thank you, Carly. And thanks to all y'all for listening and talk to you next week. Your pajamas, oh no, they're very elegant. No, it's actually normal clothes that I just decided to sleep in. I've been wearing this since yesterday morning. <laughs> <laughs>